Psalm 103, very simple, and I'll, I'll tell you why here in a moment, but um, the, the title of my sermon, and, and this is really at the heart of the psalm itself, Reasons to Worship. Maybe someone asks you, why do you worship God? You could point them to Psalm 103, because really verses 3 to 17 give all the reasons why we worship the Lord. So Reasons to Worship God, that's the title. Here's the big idea. God's character and action, what He does, ground our praise and are to characterize our practice as His kingdom people. One more time. God's character and action ground our praise. Who He is and what He has done, that grounds our praise. We praise Him because of who He is and what He's done. And again, it's His character and action that are to characterize our own lives. We're to imitate Him, right? And one way we worship is by imitating the Lord. If someone asked you, if you're married, if someone asked you what you love about your spouse, I hope there wouldn't be an awkward silence. I hope very quickly you could give a top 10 list, maybe a top 100 list, right? What makes your spouse praiseworthy? Donnie, stand up. I'm just kidding. I would, I would not put, oh yeah, look at you, Donnie. That was so good. You were ready, man. Oh, that was encouraging. What about a best friend? A best friend, what are some things that stand out? If I said, hey, what makes your best friend your best friend? Hopefully, you could just give some reasons. What about God? Why do we love God? Why do we love Him? Why do we praise Him? Why do we adore Him? Why do we worship Him? Why is He worthy of our praise? And this psalm, which I'll read shortly, Psalm 103, beautifully answers that question. The structure's brilliant. It's so helpful and easy to follow. It begins with the call to praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then what David does, the psalmist gives all the reasons why we praise the Lord. Okay, so do it. Here's why you do it. And at the very end, praise the Lord again. So there's a frame. Uh, If you've ever studied literature It's a device called an inclusio. A passage begins and ends on the same note. And so, praise the Lord. Here's why. Let me remind you one more time. Do what? Praise the Lord. Isn't that simple? I love it. All right. So, being that the main theme of this psalm is praise, what type of psalm do you think it is? It's a praise psalm. There it is, right? The psalmist is praising God for his wonderful benefits and ends, and I love how it ends. He ends with inviting others to join in. Isn't that cool? Like, hey, let's praise God. Here's why. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you join me in praising him? I just gave you all the reasons why he's praiseworthy. Why don't you join with me? So it's very corporate as well. Um, If someone asked you, hey, so you're a Christian, what do Christians do? What do you think you would say? What's your job as a Christian? I hope all of us could say, well, I'm a, I'm a worshiper. Do you know that we were created to worship? That was our initial vocation, our job. That was forfeited at the fall. Christ came to restore that vocation in his people, right? We are saved to be what? True worshipers. Now, why should I say true? Why not just worshipers? 
Because everybody's a worshiper of something, right? People worship sex. People worship money. People worship power. Everybody's a worshiper. But in order to be a true worshiper, you have to have a saving encounter with who? With Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ. All right, let's move quickly. Um, we got time, but let's jump into it. Psalm 103, who's ready? All right, good. Psalm 103, here's the word. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. Now remember, this is now the section where he's giving all the reasons for why? Why do we praise the Lord? What did we just see in verse 3? He forgives all your iniquity. Come on now. I won't interrupt again. Sorry. Um, who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's pretty cool. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. We've got to remember this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You just wait till we get to Psalm 119, because I'm reading the whole thing. It'll take about 15 minutes. All right. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his, what? His benefits. The Hebrew, gamul. First, what is meant by the phrase, bless the Lord? The verb to bless is from the Hebrew, barak. And it means, be praised. Be praised. This is worship language. Now, the soul is the nefesh. And the soul refers to the whole person, one's life. So as one commentator says, praise begins with the self. David is saying, with my whole self, with my whole life, with everything that I am, I praise 
the Lord. And this is seen in the very next line where he writes, all that is within me. Our praise can't be mundane. It can't be haphazard. It can't even be what? Something that we do what? From time to time. It should be what? All the time. Again, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do you do, Christian? I'm a, I'm a worshiper, a true worshiper. All right, so David is going to say something. It's going to sound different, but he's basically saying the same thing. Why does he do that? Why repeat himself? To make a point, to emphasize, right? So, bless the Lord, and then he says, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, and then he says, bless his holy name. What is meant by bless his holy name? God is known by his what? By his name. Think about Exodus. What does Moses ask of God? Tell me your what? Tell me your name. When I go and, and, and relay everything you just told me to the elders of Israel, who, who are you, by the way? What, what do I tell them? And what does God say? I am. I am, which is related to the name Yahweh. Yahweh. And it speaks of his infinite nature. God, throughout Scripture, is represented by his name. So to praise his name is to praise him. Now, the Hebrew I am can also be translated as I will be. That's really important. Okay, so, um, oh, it's Exodus 3. What verse is that? We're going to read Exodus 6, but I, I read this today. In Exodus 3, Moses asks the question... Basically, Moses is lacking confidence. And God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. What instills, I mean, Jesus gives the great commission. Go make disciples of all nations. Ah! But what does he promise? I will, I'll be with you always. All right, so in Exodus 6, God reveals his name and he says in the future tense, I will, I will. So listen to this, Exodus 6, 6 to 8. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Oh, <laughs> To bless his name is to praise the one true God who is and who will be with us and who will fight for us. God is saying, my name reveals who I am and what I will do. Why do we praise him for who he is and what he does? Why do we praise him for who he is and what he does? And that brings us to point number two. Worship is a response to God's character and actions. Why do we praise him? Because of who he is and what he does. Why do we praise him? Because of who he is and what he does. Worship begins with recognizing the Lord's benefits. It is a worshipful recognition of God's amazing character and mighty acts. Verse 2, 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Tantamount to worship is the refusal to forget. Tantamount to worship is the refusal to forget. To forget what? Who he is and what he's done. What does the word benefits refer to? His benefits. David says, praise the Lord, bless him, and forget not all his benefits. So I said earlier, it's from the Hebrew gamul, and it refers to God's doings. His doings. What he's done with his hands. And what has God done? What had he done for Israel? Think back at the Exodus. What did God do? He rescued them with an outstretched arm. He saved them. Those are his benefits. He's a rescuing God. So worship is fixing our hearts and minds on who God is and what he's done. It's remembering. And to fail to do this is to stop worshiping. If someone asked you, why do you gather on Sundays? Why do you get up early, get your kids dressed? You could be out hunting, you could watch the game, but instead, for some reason, every Sunday, you get up and you gather with a lot of different people and you sing and you pray and you open a book and you hear it read and taught. Why do you do that? In order to remember. So that we don't what? We are a forgetful people, aren't we? What happens when we forget? What happened to Israel when they forgot? Rejudges. What happened when a whole generation forgot who God was and what he'd done? They fell into a great pattern of what? Sin and rebellion against God. So when we gather as a church, we are remembering who God is and what he's done through song, through prayer, and the teaching of God's word. Now, again, I mentioned, how, what's the structure of Psalm 103? Bless the Lord, praise Him, and then what? All the reasons why, and then how does it end? Praise Him, bless Him. What are all these benefits? What are all the reasons that David gives us for praising or blessing the Lord? Well, there's a lot, and we don't have time to unpack all of them, so I want to summarize these verses quickly, and then we'll focus on several. Okay, so we are going to get into it, but because of time, this could be four or five sermons. So what stands out in this large section where David gives us all the reasons for why we are to praise the Lord. God is praised, number one, for his forgiveness, for his restoration, for his rescue, for his provision, for his grace, for his justice, for his revelation, for his mercy, for his compassion, for his faithfulness, for his empathy, for his patience toward us, his finite creatures. One more time. He's praised for his forgiveness and restoration, his rescue, his provision, his grace, his justice, his revelation, his mercy and compassion, his faithfulness, his empathy, and his patience toward us, his finite creation. Now, verse 8 provides us with the great summary of all these things. This is familiar language. If you've read the Old Testament, you should know this. How is God described in verse 8? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Does that sound familiar? Okay, we see that throughout the Psalms. We see that in Jonah chapter 4, I believe, verse 2. Jonah's not very happy because, again, he thinks that God should have, what, destroyed the Ninevites. But he knew that if he went and preached God's word to them, 
They would repent and God would forgive them because He's gracious and merciful. He says, God, I knew, I knew that you were gracious and merciful. You're too gracious, you're too merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The irony of Jonah is who has been shown, shown grace, mercy, and steadfast love? Jonah himself, right? I mean, he ran from God, and yet God still rescued him and used him. I love Jonah, but he's not the hero of Jonah. Who's the hero of Jonah? God. All right. Um, can we walk through this? Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Let's do that. Uh, just a few other places where we find that language. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a merciful God, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Oh, and then, yeah, Jonah 4, 2. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful. <laughs> he's like angry at God because he's gracious and merciful. <laughs> slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Um, I want to just kind of focus on verse 8, and I want to focus on each word quickly. Um, God is merciful. All right, Uh, rachum, rachum. God is merciful. It means he's compassionate. He's compassionate. What's the background here? Do you know? David's recalling a certain event in Israel's history. Do you guys know the second fall? Did you know there was a second fall? It's in Exodus 32. After God creates his new people, right? Israel, he rescues them, he gives them his word. What happens when Moses is up on the mountain talking to God? They worship a golden calf. And God, what does God want to do? Destroy them. Moses intervenes, prays on behalf of Israel, and God is gracious and he gives them new copies of the law. They should have been given wrath, and they get the word. What is God? He is compassionate. That's Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Again, the Lord makes new tablets of stone. Instead of giving them wrath, he gives them his word. He is truly compassionate. Amen? And if you're a follower of Christ, you, my friend, brother, sister, are a recipient of his compassion. Because what do we deserve? Wrath, death, eternal death. All right, not only is God merciful, he is gracious. I have a video. This was one of the first verses I taught Clark when he was like two or three. He would jump up in his little bed, his little baby bed. God is merciful and gracious! I know that's not... That was terrible. But anyways, it's so cute because he says it over and over, just jumping in his little bed, little nugget with red hair. Um, anyways, God is gracious. Chachnun. Um, you guys love Hebrew. Chachnun. What does it mean? It refers to God's unmerited favor, his undeserved favor. It's, we're, we're getting what we don't deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve death, wrath. But in the Lord, in Christ, we get what? We get favor. We get favor. We get grace. God is slow to anger. What does this mean? He's patient toward us. He's slow to anger. He's long-nosed is what the Hebrew literally means, right? Long breath. <laughs> slow to anger. He is patient with us. Romans 2.4, his patience is meant to lead us toward what? Repentance. Again, This is seen in Exodus 34, where God renews his covenant with the Israelites after they reject him as the rescuing king. Slow to anger. 
And then lastly, he's abounding in what? Chesed. It's one of my favorite Hebrew words. It's easy to say. Everybody say, Chesed. Do you know what that word means? It's his faithfulness, his kindness, his enduring love. Will God's love ever run out? No. No, it won't. God is loving and gracious and kind to the end. Once again, the background here is Exodus 34, verse 6. Why doesn't God wipe out the Israelites? They deserve it. It would have been just. God had made a promise to Abraham, right? That through Abraham's offspring, all the nations would be blessed. God's faithful to his promises. His love endures to the end. Let us never forget that. Amen? Why do we gather? To remember. Worshiping is remembering. When we gather to worship, we are remembering together who God is and what he's done. I told you the story about the youth when I was a youth pastor in Washington. I was preaching through Mark's gospel in this kid. I'm going to go ahead and say his name. Uh, no, I shouldn't do that. I was going to say his first name. It could be anybody. But he goes, Chris, I feel like every week we just talk about the gospel. And we talk about, uh, he said, faith and repentance. And I said, oh, and he goes, is that all we're going to talk about? Is that it? And I said, are you kidding me? I said, that's everything. The gospel is everything. Trusting in Jesus and turning from sin is everything. I said, woe unto us if that ever gets boring or old. And then I put him in a headlock. And I said, say you're sorry. And he did. Why repeat those things? I didn't really do that, by the way. But why repeat those things? Why preach the gospel every week? Why be reminded of who God is and what he's done every time we gather? Because we are prone to forget. And when we forget, what happens? We fall into sin. So we gather to remember. Because tantamount to worship is remembering who God is and what he's done. A few more verses here. Verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Again, the exodus comes to mind. God's people are enslaved. They're impressed, right? They're oppressed by the Egyptians. The workload is more than they can bear. And who intervenes to rescue them? Who hears their cries for help? The Lord does, right? The, the God of the Bible is concerned with righting wrongs. So if the God of the Bible is concerned with righting wrongs, who else should be concerned with righting wrongs? If God cares about those who are suffering, those who are being exploited, who else should care about those who are suffering and being oppressed and exploited? Yeah, I think about that. How do we apply that today? Again, I can't help but think about the millions of unborn babies that are being aborted and hundreds and thousands of kids who are being trafficked. What do we do, church? I think we can give to organizations like the, the Pregnancy Help Center. I think we can prayerfully consider adoption. But you know what? Here's the thing. I've shared this story before, and Haley will be okay with this. We had a family member years ago that got pregnant. She was in drugs, on drugs, uh, but involved just drug lifestyle. And she told her mom that I'm going to get an abortion. And Haley's mom relayed that to us. And we reached out to her. This was Haley's cousin. And we pleaded with her. We said, please, do not abort this baby. We'll, I think I've shared this story. We're, we will adopt this baby. We'll pay for all the medical. We'll do everything we can. Just don't abort it. We'll take it. We'll raise this baby. Because little girl, we'll raise this baby as our own. Just don't get an abortion. We pleaded. We prayed. We begged. And she decided to have the baby. 
her mom actually said, hey, I'll do everything that I can to help you. And by God's grace, she's been clean. She's been a good mommy. She kept this baby. And uh, this little girl's about seven years old now, Clark's age. Praise God for that. But you know, when that happened, I, I knew there was only one remedy for her. What was it? What did she need more than anything else? She needed Christ. She needed the good news. What is the ultimate? So I said earlier, God means to right all wrongs. What is the ultimate wrong? Living in sinful rebellion against God. How is that righted? Only through the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? So if we're going to care about righting wrongs, I mean, again, I'm okay with, you know, feeding homeless people and, again, doing things like that. But what has to be at the very heart? What has to drive every ministry we do? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, again, what is the curse? What is the problem? What is the ill affecting all humanity? It's sin. It's not having a relationship with God. And the only remedy is the gospel, the good news. All right, verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel. All right, so if you have your Bible and not to write in it, underline ways and acts. Ways and acts. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. God's ways and his acts, A-C-T-S, are synonymous. The point is, God's character is revealed through his acts. What we know about God, we know through what He does. Amen? So, case in point, the cross. You look at the cross, you see the sinless Son of God dying for sinners. What does that teach us about God? He is what? He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's good, He's kind, He's gracious, He's loving. Amen? We know His character through His, his acts. We know His ways through His acts, through what He does. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Who's heard that verse before? I mean, that, that's encouraging. I mean, as far as the east is, what's the point David's trying to make there? It's unreachable. I mean, it's, it's the sin that God forgives is, it's gone. It's gone. The Lord removes the great impediment. What is the great impediment? What stands in the way of an unholy people having a relationship with a holy God? It's sin. But what does God do with our sin? He removes it as far as the east is from the west. His forgiveness is not partial but definitive. Oh! It endures forever. <laughs> we can rest in His forgiveness which has been provided through the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to keep moving. So again, in this section, what are we looking at? All the reasons why we praise the Lord. Verses 14 to 16. I'm thankful for this. <laughs> for he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. I know it's not very endearing, right? Hey, dust. And you can say back, hey, dust. Maybe that should be our new greeting. If you live in Cameroon, in the village of Indu, you say, which means, how'd you sleep? At Kelty's, we say, hey, dust. I'm just kidding. That'd be kind of funny, though. Uh, I don't think it'll catch on, so forget about it. But we are dust. What does that mean? We're finite. God is infinite. There's a contrast being made here. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. 
for the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. Here's why this is encouraging. The Lord knows our finite nature. Now, a king may be mocked and called into question in saying that he can relate to the poor and the marginalized. You live in a castle, bro. You have servants. You can't relate to the poor. It'd be like the Hollywood elite today going to Skid Row, which this was back, I was in Skid Row back in 2002. This is the part of L.A. where on any given night, there's 80,000 homeless people. It'd be like the elite, the Hollywood elite saying, oh yeah, I can relate to those people. No, they can't, right? So why can God relate to us? Because he became like us. Oh, the incarnation, right? God became man. He suffered with us. He was tempted like us, even though he didn't sin. Amen? Jesus can say, I know what it means to suffer and to want and to hurt and to hunger and to face temptation, to feel pain and abandonment. Why? Because he became like one of us. Therefore, he understands us. Isn't that cool? He can He's wanting to tell the, the people of God, I can empathize with you. I know you. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without what? Without sin. A few takeaways here. Again, why do we praise the Lord? Why do we do it? This is just from verses 14 to 16. One, the Lord understands us better than anyone else. He knows us. We are known by God. Let, let that sink in for a minute. We're known by God. The Lord of the universe knows you. Second, He's patient with us. Man, I need God to be patient with me because I mess up a lot. Aren't you thankful that he's patient toward us? What, what's the Hebrew there? He's what? He's abounding in steadfast love. He's faithful. He's kind. He's infinite. Again, we're being contrasted with the Lord in these verses. It's his infinite love that transforms our finite selves, bringing us into a forever relationship with him. All right, number three. Now I've got to move quickly. Number three. Worship involves imitating God's character and actions. Worship is not just gathering to sing, gathering to remember. It is that, but worship is also obedience. We worship with our lives. Amen? No amen? One amen. Okay. Verses 18 and 19. To those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments, the Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. In verse 18, we are reminded that God's character is reflected in His law. And to do His commandments is to align with His character. And then we've got verse 19. Verse 19 is huge. What Psalm 103 describes is God as King and His kingdom, His rule. We must see His rule as what? Is it just otherworldly? No, his rule has broken in, amen, in time and space. It's always been God's plan to rule over his set-apart people. If God is your king, who should you look like? Who? Like the Lord. You should look like the king, Jesus. What David acknowledges about God should characterize God's people. Again, the point here, worship involves imitating God's character and actions. How is God described in Scripture? 
He's just, He's righteous, He's holy, He's faithful, He's good, He's kind, He's loving. Probably the, the best way to understand this is Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the who? The fruit of the Spirit. Now, we get, if we believe in Christ, if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives producing fruit. But if you look at that list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, who is that? Who does that describe perfectly? Who embodies that perfectly? Jesus, right? Who is God? And so we get the Spirit to look like God. And that's part of our worship. When we imitate the Lord, we are worshiping Him. We were made to do that. We were made in His what? In His image. You can write down Matthew 5.48, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. I'm not going to read those because of time. I've already mentioned ways that we can imitate the Lord um, as a church. I think, again, the fruit of the Spirit is a really helpful passage. Matthew 6, by extending forgiveness, I've often said that we're never more like Christ than we would when we extend forgiveness to others, He forgave us, we should forgive others. We should provide for each other in the church, right? God provides for us. We imitate Him when we provide for each other. That's Acts 2, 42 to 47. When we're slow to anger. I, I sing Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 to my boys all the time. Let all bitterness and wrath, anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ forgives you. As God in Christ forgives you, you should forgive. As God is slow in anger towards you, you should be slow in anger toward one another. And when we do that, friends, when we live like God, we worship Him. Amen? All right. Number four. And there's just five. So, number four. Worship is concerned with calling others to join in. Now listen. Why do we do missions? Do we care about the lost? Yes. But more importantly, we care about God's glory. And when an unsaved people turns from worshiping idols to trusting in the one true God revealed in Jesus Christ, who gets the glory? God does, right? Our desire as Christians is for God to receive maximum glory. More worshipers equals more, more glory. So again, why do we invite others to join in? Because we want God to have more Amen? So again, what should motivate missions? What should motivate our evangelism? Our love and commitment to the glory of God. Amen? Do we love the lost? Yes, because God loves the lost. But more than anything, what do we desire? God to be glorified. God to be glorified. Verses 20 to 22. Again, worship is concerned with calling others to join in. We're almost done. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. What is David doing here? He's saying, remember with me the awesome character and the saving acts of God. See with me the beauty and majesty of God. All right, I use this illustration all the time. When I was 15, our family went to the Grand Canyon, and I was so excited to be the first one to run to the very edge and just take it all in. And I was overwhelmed by the grandness of the Grand Canyon. And what do you think I did? 
after basking in that for a bit, just take, I ran to the car and I got Laura and my sister and mom and dad. You gotta, you gotta see this. You gotta, it's incredible, right? What I saw, what wowed me and awed me, I wanted them to be wowed by. Isn't that the Christian life? You want others to know what you know and to see what you see and to experience what you've experienced. My fear is, when we talk about Jesus, is it, wah, wah, like, hey, yeah, come check him out. No, I mean, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. And I want you to see with me who Christ is and what he's done. Again, number four, worship is concerned with calling others to join in. Oh, I turned my phone off. What time is it? Ooh, we got time. Okay. Thank you, Corey. 716. Worship is corporate. Amen? It's corporate. What is the end time picture in Revelation 7? People from every tribe, tongue, and language group gathered together praising the Lamb of God. Again, if, that, if that's the end goal, right? A corporate people made up of all the different nations, worshiping the Lamb, what should we be concerned with? Inviting others to be a part of what? Worshiping the one true God. So what do we got to do, friends? What does that necessitate? We got to share the gospel, Dale. We, we got to tell others the good news and invite them to leave their sin behind and trust in Jesus for eternal life. How does the psalm end? It ends how it began, right? And that, that's the inclusio, the bracket, the bookend. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let me ask this before I move on to the last point. Who are you currently inviting to join in our song and worship the one true God revealed in Jesus Christ? Is there someone right now that you're pursuing, that you're praying for, that you're seeking to have a conversation with about their need for Jesus Christ? Are you thinking about how you can invite them to behold what you've beheld, to see what you've seen, to know who you know, the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, that, that is part of our vocation. Our, part of our vocation as Christians, I mean, what are Jesus' last words? I and mean, it's really significant. I mean, Jesus could have said anything before he ascended to the Father, but he says, go make disciples, Right? Go tell people the good news. Are we doing that? Last point. Number five. <clears throat> Worship flows out of a heart that fears the Lord. Worship flows out of a heart that fears the Lord. It's a major theme in Psalm 103. Now, <clears throat> the language of fearing the Lord appears multiple times. Verse 11 are as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Verse 13, just two verses later, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And if that wasn't enough, verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Now, <clears throat> to fear the Lord does not mean what most 
typically think. I mean, when you hear that word fear, you're thinking a dread. I need to hide myself, right? I'm terrified. I'm petrified. Instead, it is wonder and awe directed at the sovereign Lord of the universe. It's akin to the Grand Canyon where you stand and you look at the vastness and you say what? Wow. Wow. I'm in awe. That's fear. It's wonder. It's wonder. I shared this with a brother recently. I think we don't realize, all of us, how sinful we really are. I think most Christians suffer from entitlement. Right? I, 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 just, I, I don't think we realize how good we got it. That we're not in hell right now. That we're not at odds with God. That, in Jesus, we are now His children and friends. That, that is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And that should leave you in what? Awe, wonder, fear. So think, when you hear fear, I mean, again, the beginning of wisdom is fear the Lord. That's an important theme throughout Scripture. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians as well. What does it mean? To be in awe of God. To wonder, to be amazed at who he is and what he's done. What you're in awe of, you worship. Is that fair to say? What has your awe has your heart. It has your utmost attention. It drives you, right? Who or what are you in awe of today? Are you suffering from, and I'm borrowing this phrase from Mr. Tripp, misplaced awe? Is your awe your wonder misplaced today, or is it directed at the one true God? If you make, now listen to this, if you make your spouse or your children or your job or your money your primary object of awe, then you will be inevitably let down. I promise you. Why? Because none of these things, even though they're good gifts, and that's what they are, they're gifts from God, none of them have the ability to satisfy us. These things that I just mentioned, which, again, if you suffer from misplaced all, look at your life. It could be your spouse, it could be your children, it could be your job, it could be your wealth. It's easy to make those things idols, right? But none of those things were created to bear the full weight of one's awe and wonder. They can't. Again, these things are good, and they should be seen as good gifts from God. But they can also be taken away. I've been telling Clark and Luke this since they could speak, since they could listen, that the only thing that will last forever, the only thing of true worth is a relationship with God. That is everything, boys. And I would say to the church, that is everything, church, a relationship with God through trusting in Jesus Christ. Amen? That will last forever. That will satisfy forever. That and that alone. All right, last questions. One, how does Psalm 103 point to Christ in the gospel? Psalm 103 drives us to Calvary. How so? How does Psalm 103 drive us to the cross? Because there at Calvary, if you come with me quickly to the cross, what do you see displayed? God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. All those things, God's beautiful character described in his beautiful word, come to a head, they come to a climax at the cross. 
And there we see God's infinite capacity to forgive and restore a broken and rebellious humanity. And lastly, I would say this. Add your voices. Add your voices to the heavenly choir today. Again, how does it end? Everything that God has dominion over, all His ministers, all the angelic beings, what are they doing? They're praising the Lord. What are we being invited to do in this psalm? Praise the Lord. But our vocation as true worshipers of God can only be restored by trusting in who? Jesus Christ. We were made to worship. We forfeited that vocation because of sin. And only through trusting in Christ can that vocation be restored. Amen? What does Jesus say in John 4 about true worshipers? They worship in spirit and in truth. Well, let's pray together. Um, the way I grouped this, I took verses 1 and 2. So if, if you're new, what I do is I'm trying to demonstrate how we, as followers of Jesus, can prayerfully apply God's Word, right? God speaks to us in His Word, and we speak back, and we call that what? We call that prayer. And God speaks to us first. He initiates the conversation. He speaks to us through His living Word, and we should respond back in prayer. So this is how we do it. Verses 1 and 2, let's pray. Father, help me to praise You with my whole being. Help me to never forget who You are and what You've done. That's verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 to 17, Father, we are in awe of your character revealed through your righteous works. You are a God who forgives. Only you can satisfy our souls. You are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You are compassionate and faithful to the end. Verses 18 and 19, Father, help your church to imitate your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to love like Christ loves us, and to embody His character all for Your glory. And then finally, verses 20 and 22, Father, give us the boldness and the strength to invite others to join us in praising Your name. May our awe and wonder of You attract others to Your matchless beauty and worth. And all God's people said, Amen. <clears throat> That's what I meant earlier when I talked about how, you know, if we're inviting others to worship God, to sit. Again, you know, if I have a great meal, there's this place that the pastors, the other pastors took me to recently called JW's Barbecue in Jacksonville. I can't stop thinking about it. I mean, I, I, did, I crave it. It was so, it's like on a whole different level of barbecue, man. And I tell people about it, like, oh, guys. I mean, how am I, but again, if I eat barbecue, I'm hungry 10 minutes later. When you take in Jesus by faith, you're eternally satisfied, amen? I mean, how much more excited should we be about Jesus and who He is and what He's done? I mean, it's fine to say, hey, I saw this movie, it was great, or I, I tried this restaurant, it was good, but I have a Lord and a Savior and a King, and His name is Jesus, and He died for me, and He rose again to save me. And I want you to know Him. How are we doing with that? Let's do more, amen? Yeah, we don't do that to earn God's favor. Christ did that for us. We do that. That's part of the gratitude we talked about last week. That's how we show our gratitude to God, by making Him known to others so that He'll get more what? More glory.